Welcome to Underlords Radio Hour. Welcome back to Underlords Radio Hour. I'm Brian, and on the phone I've got Josh. Hello there. How you doing? Oh, I'm good. How are you? Great, because this episode is an intermission episode. This it is, is a, indeed. It is. This is a secret history episode. Now, what is that? Love. Well, let me tell you, as if you don't know, but that listener out there, that one listener out there, they may not understand that so far, Origins of the Damned has been a fictional story that they've been listening to chapter by chapter. And the secret history episodes, the intermission episodes, are uh, a little detour into the real-life history that uh, kind of serves as uh, the seeds of the fictional story. And The musical exploits of the, our life and times. That's a good way to put it, the musical exploits. And if you haven't listened to the first intermission secret history episode on hack and slay you should you should go back find that one and listen to that one um <clears throat> this episode focuses on a band called the illusionists and is there anything you would like to say about either the hack and slay episode uh or this one as we as we get into it here no i think i, I think uh illusionists ran from uh, 87 to 91 about there and it was it was our first opportunity you and me our first opportunity to work together and collaborate so somewhat momentous in, in that regard right a lot of fun to yes. be sure uh, because after all these years and we're not counting because we're not letting anybody in on how old we really are but after all these years we are still doing creative things together and this does go back to like you said around 87 88 89 90 91 and um you originally came from a, a band called Hack and Slay um and this was the first band I was in called The Illusionists which included my brother uh Brent and another guy named John and eventually you ended up playing with us so yeah, I came in a little bit later on this one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not an original member of the Illusion. No, and uh, in a technical sense, I guess neither am I, because it was originally a duo. Brent and John started the band. So tell you what, why don't we... Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get Brent on the phone, and we're going to get his take on this first. And then... Um, yeah. And then, we'll, and then, and then I'll, I'll, I'll ring you back up, and we'll, we'll pick up where we leave off with him. Okay. Okay, so uh, uh, on the phone we have uh, my brother, Brent. And um, you and I uh, played in our first band together, correct? That's right. Yeah. Uh, called The Illusionists, which is the, uh, the focus of this episode. But you started that band with uh, another guy, John. And, and you guys are about... Four, four grades older, four years older than me. So you guys were in high school, and I was in junior high. So uh, how did, the, you know, like, you know, in the previous episode, Hack and Slade talked about Josh joining his older brother's band. But let's get this from, like, the, the perspective of how, to, how did it begin in the first place? Sure. Well, it's interesting that you bring up Hack and Slade because we're talking about sophomore year in high school, 1986 going into 1987. And we knew Josh and Joel and John and Steve, and we'd seen Hackenslay play. Um, we actually had them perform at a block party that we had one year. Yep, I remember we, that. We went and saw them play in Josh and Joel's parents' driveway. So we were familiar with the guys. We liked the music. They were kind of inspirational for us, frankly, in terms of what we would ultimately go on to do. But in terms of the illusionist starting, um, John and I had German class together in sophomore year of high school. And John came up with this idea about taking some more of the nerdier guys in our class and putting them into a fictitious hard rock slash heavy metal band called Corn and the Illusionists. And Corn was part of the name of the band because there was uh, the leader of the band was a guy with the last name of Cornelison. Um, 
John eventually went on to write some lyrics, which were basically poems because we didn't have any music at the time. And we put together some lyric books. Um, some of this stuff was actually done in German class. So um, if I can, which, if I can just kind of jump in here for a second, yeah. If I'm getting this straight, um, and, and it's been a while since I've thought about this, but you guys were imagining your classmates as a heavy metal band. And then you started to imagine, well, what kind of songs would they write? And you started writing the lyrics to these imaginary songs. Right. And, That's exactly okay. right. Yep. Because we didn't have any music. We weren't actually playing but any John, music or writing any music. But John yep. was a drummer. Yeah. So yeah. how did it go from there into actually, you know, m- writing music for those lyrics and actually be beca- cuz really what you're talking about here is that this this thing that you and John created as a way of mocking these other classmates, which is not really cool <laughs> to no, be honest. No. Uh, did they ever know about it? I don't think so. Well, that's probably good. That's probably good. But but you go from that to there's a bit of an irony there because then you guys actually and, and we because I, I joined you guys we became that band. So there's right. there's I, kind of like a it's kind of like you know coming back back at you in a way you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of the music, you know, Dad bought you a guitar. That's right. Uh, which you still have. I do. And. I, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but, you know, at some point, John and I got together and just wanted to try to throw down some ideas to kind of bring some of his lyrics to life, if you will. So all we had was the guitar and his drums, and we made some very primitive recordings of some very generic songs. This would have been sometime in 1987, sophomore year in high school. We just recorded everything in his parents' basement because that's where his drums were set up. I don't even remember what we recorded it on, but we would have just used a practice amplifier for the guitar. Um, we learned how to open tune the guitar through uh, Josh's brother, Joel. So all we had to do was use one finger on the fretboard when, when creating chords yep. for these songs. Yes, for- and we just, we just wrote some songs, music, and tracked them. And that ended up becoming the first album, if you will, which John called Cellar Songs, which we did that in 1987, just the two of us. And um, if I recall correctly, you guys both ended up writing lyrics uh, and music for the songs. That's correct. Yeah. Yep. So um, let's get a taste of one of those. We have a recording from 1987 from that Cellar Songs uh, album. This one, you wrote this one, right? That's correct, I did. Um, music and lyrics, right? Yep. And this is called The Demon Within, which on the surface, and, and, and I, because I know this, I can say it, I, um, it sounds, you know, like, oh my gosh, it's some demon rock band, you know, devil band, but it's really about the Incredible Hulk, isn't that correct? That's right. Like when, when Banner... You know, metamorphosizes into into the, cre- into the, into the creature, yes. into, into the Hulk. Uh, it's that—that's the demon within that's coming out. So, so let's hear let's hear a little bit of the demon within. Let's check it out. You know, and it's funny if you, if anybody ever, you know, watches the old um, Incredible Hulk TV show starring, you know, um, Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno, um, and, and they hear the growl of the Hulk, you can tell that that's kind of what you're doing in the beginning of that song. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is kind of cool in a weird sort of way. But so, so you guys did this stuff, just the two of you guys, it's just guitar and, and, and drums and some pretty awesome vocals. Um, <laughs> and then even though it was my guitar, I ended up coming in and playing bass, but you know, I was in junior high. My recollection of how I got involved in that, I, I don't even know. I can't remember. Do you remember how we how it went from the two of you to the three of us? Yeah, my recollection is that um, John's sister had a bass guitar, which you know, who God only knows the last time it had been strung properly or set up properly because we didn't really worry about any of that stuff back then. But since you had a guitar and since John and I had written the songs on the guitar, I think we thought it made sense just to have me keep playing the guitar, but we didn't know anybody who played bass. So since we were using your equipment, we thought it would be a pretty good idea to bring you in and have you play the bass. And I don't recall ever rehearsing songs with you because what we did back in those days was John's thing was let's just record. If we're, if we're going to get together and play for five hours, let's record everything. And we so would. John, we would play for hours like that. All day. Yeah. All day. Like eight, nine hours a day and record almost everything. And probably what we did is we just said, hey, here's a song called The Demon Within. Just kind of, we're, we're going to show it to you and then follow along. And, and we just would have kept recording all that stuff. So I doubt we ever pra- properly rehearsed anything. I can remember recording certain things. If you go back and listen to some of them, you can hear the bass just kind of flailing around trying to follow the guitar part. <laughs> Yeah, and the funny thing is we, did, we didn't actually fix that stuff. We kept it. I mean, if you go back and listen to a lot of these old recordings, too, like lyrically, the lyrics don't sync up with the guitars the way they, they're supposed to. I mean, a lot, of the, a lot of those old songs were written in such a fashion that um, the, lyric, the lyric actually kind of followed the guitar. And we would eventually kind of yeah. stray away from that as we got more proficient in songwriting. But even back then, with as simplistic as those pieces were, they didn't always sync up quite well. But you're right about the bass. It kind of meandered a, a little bit. That's probably our fault because we didn't bother to teach you the songs. Right. I think by and large, though, I was able to follow along with, with most of it. Um, and yeah, I think this, yeah. for most part, what we've got recorded is you know, reasonably, uh, I don't know, representative of what we were doing. So um, let's pick a few from that era, which would, that would, is that fall of 87, spring of 88? Would have been '88, yeah. When we did okay. the first proper album with with you, would have been uh, 1988. Spring that's, of '88. Yep, that okay. album was originally called Hell Dash uh, O. Right. You were right. It was called Hell O, which is <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. We I think we ended up calling it First Significant Figure, which sounds like a John thing. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. It was. But uh, uh, and and this is where we're getting a little more serious, you know. And, you know, yeah. when, when you're, from my perspective as like a seventh grader or whatever, this was a big deal. Um, so you, you wanted to pick a few p- pieces from this. We have Choir Boy, Plane Ride to Hell, and Orlis. So here, here's what I'm going to do with this. I'm going ha- to just play a clip from Choir Boy. And then after we hear the clip, I just want to get your reaction, your recollections, why you picked this, etc. Okay? So here we go. This, yeah. is, a, this is from 1988. This is called Choir Boy. Why does that? Why is that a standout track for you? Looking back on, on your history with this. Well, I mean, if it's not just totally obvious, um, it's it's uh, for us. You know, writing these songs was was a, was a big achievement because we'd never actually done anything musically before. So, um, even as simplistic as a lot of the songs were, we were we were actually pretty proud of them back then. Choir Boy for me to this day still is kind of a really catchy guitar hook in it. 
um, John's vocal during the chorus is off the charts for me. It's that, just that's funny. That's the reason why I love that song yeah. so much. Is his vocal performance just makes that song. Well, it's it's ridiculous. And and John's John had such a personality in his voice. Uh, to me, uh, his voice always kind of sounded like uh, a bit like Albert Bouchard from Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah, uh, Blue Oyster Cult's yeah. drummer. So um, absolutely. You know, I always kind of thought if if we could have kept going a little bit more, you know, it would have been really cool to have him do a lot more lead vocals. He's got a really unique voice, but obviously back then it was not very refined. Um, so, uh, but yeah, okay. So the next, the next clip is, uh, it was called plane ride to hell. Um, and if, before we hear this one, I think you guys both, you kind of shared vocals on this one. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, anyway, here's a clip of plane ride to hell. Sinister, sinister. That uh, you know, I got scared. I got scared. It makes the blood run cold, doesn't it? It really gives you the chills. Yep. So now, one of the things about the Illusionists was a, a level of absurdity, which was right on par with what Hackenslate had been doing. It was like you want to have fun doing this, but I mean, in all realist, being realistic. We're just these guys from the suburbs. It's not like we have a lot of angst or anger or, right. you know. So right. to, to, to try to write songs, you know, you're listening to music from the, the 80s, bands from the 70s and 80s. And, man, a lot of the lyrics at that time period from some of those bands, really pretty, I don't know. I mean, stupid. Cheesy. Oh, it's, it's some of it's just so overtly sexual or it's overtly like satanic or something and it's like what are you what are you trying to be you know so correct me if i'm wrong but to me a song like plane ride to hell is kind of like making fun of that almost would you absolutely absolutely that's that's really what we did back then you know the whole the whole idea initially was with putting these guys in a fictitious band was john wanted was taking people that were totally the opposite of this and making them into being these dangerous guys that wrote these dangerous songs. And what kind of a dangerous song could we write? How about a plane ride to hell? Right. That's I dangerous. Mean, it, 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 you're, we're kind of mocking bands like Slayer, which, you know, or which later on we would actually go on to appreciate, but these bands that were overly satanic in lyrics or appearance or what have you, and just kind of mocking that, um, with a tongue-in-cheek song like "Plane Ride to Hell," because look, the lyrics are just so ridiculous. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's the whole the, thing. That's is the point. All of this yeah. is pretty tongue-in-cheek. Um, yeah. Although I don't know, the next one doesn't really strike me as nearly as tongue-in-cheek. Um, it's just a ghost story, um, and it's called "Orlis the Phantom Child." And the the careful underlords aficionado, you know, you out there. Keep your your eyes and ears open and and peeled for uh, a character named Orlis in the Underlords universe. But the name Orlis has its origins all the way back in a song from 1988 called Orlis the Phantom Child. And I think you played the bass on this one, which is different because I played bass on everything else. And you did guitar. Right, I, yep, because I wrote the the bass is basically the rhythm guitar in this song. So uh, I did the bass, and then you did all the other guitar noodlings and mm-hmm. the sinister, ghostly sounds. Oh, it's sinister! It's sinister guitar. That's you. Yep, sinister. So yep. it, it's it's a, a a creepy tune. So let's hear a, a just a a small snippet of Orlis the Phantom Child. Oh, 
Why, like, why did you pick that song? Um, is it just because it's so different than a song like Plane Ride to Hell and Choir Boy? Yeah, yeah it's different. Um, different lyrically. It's a little bit, not serious, but it's, it's more of a, it's, it's, it's a little bit darker. Um, and primarily because it's a different kind of song. If you, if you actually listen to, if you could actually handle listening to the whole first significant figure album, which most people couldn't, there's no other song on that album like that. And coupled with the fact that Orlis kind of has a new life in the current Underlords universe, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, here we are 32 years later, and he's still around. He's just kind of in a different form these days. Um, yeah, as a matter of fact, I um, I was kind of thinking about the lyrics to that old song from 1988 and thinking about, you know, if there are any parallels to, to, the, to uh, a character of the same name today, but... You know, m- more on that as the Underlord's universe unfolds. Yep. Um, in the meantime, let's address a um, a change that takes place. Because okay. you, you guys go off to college, and, and you and John both went up to Iowa State, and I, of course, went from junior high to high school. Mm-hmm. And but we wanted, we wanted to keep playing, and 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 you you guys would come back on weekends and stuff. We'd still do stuff at John's house for a while until uh, eventually he ended up getting a house in Ames. But for a while we were still doing stuff in John's parents' house. And I moved over to guitar. You stayed with guitar, but we got Josh on bass. And mm-hmm. that the, the reason for that was it had something to do with Iowa State. And a, and a battle of the bands. So can you, uh, what was that all about? So freshman year, um, like you said, John and I were at Iowa State. Josh was at Drake. And you were right. We decided that we were going to have two guitars in the band. So, you know, you kind of moved over to take that other guitar spot. And we didn't have a bass player. So we'd known Hack and Slay. And we knew Josh. We knew Josh played bass. And... There was a battle of the bands at Iowa State where you could enter a song to the local radio station. And um, basically, um, the, the contest was which, which song that was entered was the best song. Which is the, kind which of. Song, which song got the most votes? Which is kind of cool because you'd normally think of a battle of the bands as a live thing. But this was record something. And of course, right. in those days, you know, I mean. By contrast, today anybody can download a digital audio workstation and and uh, you know some microphones and and just learn how to record stuff at home pretty easily. But my gosh, back then, just just learning how to multi-track something. I think we used a Radio Shack mixer, a uh, little like four-track recording. You know, but... I think you're right, and we actually physically mailed. I believe a cassette of the song to the radio station. I don't think we dropped it off. I think we actually mailed it to them in one of those old padded envelopes, like a bubble mailer. Yeah. Now, of course, now you would just you just email your file in, but yeah, you just send the file. Yeah. So every, so everything was manual. Player. Yeah. We, we didn't have a bass player, so I, I recall contacting Josh on the phone, and this would have been just like my dorm room phone because we didn't have cell phones back in those days. Right just to see what he was up to, to see if he'd be interested in not necessarily joining the band, but kind of helping us with the song. Cause we'd written a song for that, that we were going to submit for the battle of the bands, but we needed someone to play bass on it. And he said, sure. He would happy to, to help out with it. And my, that's how I recall him getting uh, initiated into the, the, uh, the illusionist, if you will. And, you know, we'll, I'm going to talk to him about his recollection on that. Um, but from, uh, before we do that, my recollection is we recorded two main songs for that Battle of the Bands. And one of them was a song that goes all the way back to 1988, before we were with Josh. And it was a song called End of an Era. And if I remember, that was like the one song that had like no element of silliness to it. I mean, you can look yeah. back. You look back on it yeah. today and go, "Well, that's not really that great." But John wrote the lyric to it, and I think at the time he was trying to write a reasonably serious lyric. And I, I it was the first song I ever wrote any kind of music to. Not that it's terribly complex, 
But uh, we ended up re-recording that with Josh on bass for this Battle of the Bands. Let's let's take a, a quick listen to that. sure that holds up too well <laughs> um, well like you said it was it was really uh, probably the very first and maybe the only serious song that we did because john's lyric is really about the end of a relationship um i don't know what prompted him to do that that was really one of the very few songs might have been the first song i had nothing to do with in terms of creating it or writing anything but i thought it was great from the perspective of you getting really involved in writing the music and you and John working together and writing a song together. And I, honestly, I think that was John's favorite song that we ever did as the illusionist. I think his favorite song was end of an era. Um, but you, you're right. The other song you, you wrote, you wrote the music to it. Did you guys both do the lyrics? I wrote, I wrote everything. John sang the song. I wrote the lyrics and I wrote the music. Okay. And this one, um, Lyrically, it's a little bit more on the embarrassing side, but um, it's um, not the kind of thing that you would necessarily write today. But um, it, it still has, in its own way, kind of a tongue-in-cheek element to it. Um, you know, because, like we said before, so many of the bands in the '80s are writing songs about girls and sex and stuff like that. And it's like, why not? Why not write a song about just you know taking a shower? You know, with, yeah, with somebody, we right? We, we, better than girls 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 right so by motley crew yeah what I, yeah by motley crew so what i came up with instead was bathe with me I mean, well yeah i mean it, because it, i mean in, in a very technical sense all the chorus of the song is just let's let's take a bath i mean it doesn't say that there's anything else that goes on between the two no. it's just nope. it's just you know suds up it's, man it's, turn it's on clean, the water it's clean clean fun right yeah. let's it's let's uh let's hear a, a clip of that so bathe with me, and you will see the greatest feeling you've never felt before. So bathe with me, and you will see the tightest right you'll be cleansed tonight. I think that that got us in the top ten in that um, uh, in that battle of the bands. I think there was like yeah, I think we, I think we finished seventh, and yeah. there were like twenty twenty five bands or songs that had been submitted. Yeah. So we did actually pretty good. Not too bad. And no. you know, it's and and with that being the first thing we did with Josh, um, let's get his take on how all that panned out. Yeah, that'd be really cool to kind of get his perspective on that. Well, let's do that now. Okay, it was interesting to get a, uh, interesting to me at least, um, even though I'm part of that history, I don't think I've ever just sat down and asked Brent to, to recall 
you know, how that project came together when they were in high school. So, yeah, that was fun for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely interesting. Yeah. So, you now Brent kind of left it off around the time that you came into the to the project. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you guys were in college. You were at Drake University. Uh, Brent and John That's were... True. I'm sorry? Say what? That, that's true, yes. Ah. And uh, Brent and John were both at Iowa State, and I was in high school. And <laughs> so we started to uh, to try to get a little bit more serious and subject... Uh, subject? Subject our listeners to something. Um, submit. To submit a song for a Battle of the Bands. And... Um, you know, you coming into that, uh, how did that how did that pan out from your perspective? Like, we're already an established band. We're going to try to record some songs for a, a Battle of the Bands radio thing. And how did you see yourself fitting into that? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I remember this pretty well. And, and you know, as, as we talked about in the previous Secret History episode, you know, Hack and Flake kind of petered out in 88, I think. Um, and... Uh, I moved on musically to play in a couple of covers bands, a band called Axiom, in which I played with John, who is the Illusionist's drummer. Um, so John and I kind of formed this band called Axiom with a guitar player that I knew and someone else. And, you know, we played covers. We played like Guns N' Roses and Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and um, you know, I mean, it was, it was okay. I mean, we played a couple of school dances, um, <laughs> which seems weird in, in retrospect, but you know, that was okay. And, and that, that never really worked out. You know, I mean, it just wasn't, you know, I, I don't enjoy playing covers as much, um, as I do original music. So that kind of flamed out. And then I went on to actually kind of fall into a, a, a professional gig as a musician playing classic rock and country at a, 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 a restaurant in Des Moines, which is really weird. I did that for a few months, and again, it was Friday and Saturday night playing old classic rock, hillbilly rock, and country music. Um, so that was a, a kind of a weird experience for me. And then, you know, this must have been first semester in college, Brent called and said, hey, we're getting ready to do some stuff and record some stuff with the illusionist. Do you want to sit in and, and give it a try? And I remember going and sitting in and playing with the illusionists and, you know, oddly enough, and this is going to sound bad. It was definitely a step back musically from the talent perspective, from what I've been doing, but from a, uh, just kind of a, creative perspective it really felt great to be doing this kind of music again and i think it, for me it was kind of like the successor to hack and slay and starting to to play to, to write music again and to do originals and i mean let's face it it was kind of ridiculous like like hack and slay and you know um a little bit weird and a little bit out there but for me you know just sensing the potential and um you know working with john who i thought was a really good drummer and I remember, you know, listening to you as a guitar player, and you were playing, um, you know, the open-tuned guitar. You were actually playing guitar like it was supposed to be played and, and starting to think, like, wow, there's actually, this is actually like hack and play, but there's actually more talent here, so more potential. So that's kind of my recollection in, in, into coming into the band. Um, do you actually remember recording those songs, End of an Era and Bathe With Me? <laughs> I do. I do. That was yeah. in John's basement, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah. Is it his parents' basement, I should say. It, that's right. Um, is there anything that you want to say about those? Or, I mean, because we've got a lot on the docket here, but, you know, feel free to... Yeah, there's, there's just so much of a musical history. I mean, again, one of the things that, that I recall that really stood out to me was when the, the, the solo from the song Bathe With Me, which is a stupid title for a song, by the way. Yeah. But I remember you playing a solo on that song, and I, I actually remember you recording it in, in John's parents' basement. And I remember watching you play that and actually thinking, oh my God, this is actually a lead guitar player I'm playing with. He can actually play a solo. 
and again, that was kind of what kind of cemented me into the project of saying, there's, you know, so much more potential here, and it's fun, and I'm doing something interesting and creative, as opposed to pay, playing crappy cover songs. You know, we, we put that clip in, in the segment where I discuss stuff with, uh, with Brent, but let's, let's hear that solo again, and just a disclaimer here, not because it's great, it was played by a freshman in high school, me, <laughs> at the time, but um, let's just hear it again, and then I'm, I'm going to give you a thought on it, okay? So here we go. Yeah. This is a great solo. Okay. Here we go. So the thing about that solo, that's and, it, and it's not it's not great, um, either either comp. <laughs> well, the, here's why, um, it has memorable phrases in it. It's got a couple of distinct different phrases, and and you know phrases in a solo basically little melodies, and and that's all it is. It's not flashy at all. It's not like. I mean, I couldn't play like that then, and I really can't play like that now. Um, but, you know, one of the criticisms of, of shredders is that they can play so technically perfect, and they can play a million notes, you know. But what what sticks in your mind? What's memorable? And as as elementary as that solo really is, the, the thing about it is that it, it's memorable. Um, it's, Hell yeah. So it's, I mean, it's still done by, you know, amateurs you know in my case you know i wasn't even old enough to drive one of the things i remember about you joining was um brent and john coming back from iowa state on the weekends um and playing and rehearsing and recording in john's basement over and over like hours on end i I can remember one day we played this song you you mentioned bathe with me is a stupid title Uh, brent had a song called Tough enough, spelled T U F F E N U F F. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's really stupid. But I remember <laughs> one day we played that song and recorded every take of it for like yeah. hours. It seemed like I remember. I remember. And personally, I loved that. You know, that was very much harkening back to how Hack and Slay did it. Of just. Getting together, I think like Sunday was always kind of band day, or you know one of the weekend days, and you just got together at uh, you know nine or ten in the morning, and you played till four or five, and you just you just maybe you took a break in there, but you just played and just drilled these songs, and I to this day I still I, I really miss that. I mean I just waking up and knowing that's what you're going to do with the day. There's a real innocence to that, and I, I miss that, but I do remember that. I do remember that that incident you're talking about. With- tough enough day yeah you know since we have so many uh recordings um let's let's just go ahead and hear a a little clip of that this would be a clip of of an afternoon playing this song probably for the 20th time here we go her body's hot, you see her fire burn. She's got a lesson that you'd love to learn. She beckons you to come into her car. She says she wants to take you to the stars. What have you got to lose? It's her you need. This girl's tough enough and easy to please. And she's tough enough. She's tough enough. She's tough enough. She's tough enough. She shows the stuff. Yes, she does. She's tough enough. So, you know, not a good song, but you can see there's maybe an attempt to, to, to blend 80s rock with, you know, some melodic sensibility, I guess. You know. Yeah, but, I mean, well, we grew up in that era of the 80s, and I mean, that, that, that was the music of the time. So, I mean, it naturally is going to show up. Yep, sure is. Um, now that was, gosh, that's like 91, 90, 91, somewhere in there. 
And it didn't take too long for... We started playing live. I think the first time we played live, John had moved his uh, all his music equipment up to a house in Ames uh, yep. at Iowa yep. State. And uh, we started rehearsing up there instead of his parents' house. And I remember one time we were rehearsing and some people came downstairs. They were having some sort of little get-together or party or something. And they said, hey, if you're going to make that much noise, you might as well come upstairs and play upstairs. And uh-huh. you, remember. you remember doing that? And that was the first time that I ever played in front of other people. And uh, I can still remember. I can still see it in my, in my, in my mind. Um, don't have a recording of that, but we did play not too long after that. We got uh, invited to play a house party at a fraternity, uh, Delta Chi. <laughs> right. And the Delta Chi show, and that, it, there's actually a couple things about that number one um that ho- that house is no longer a fraternity it's it's a i think it's a bed and breakfast mm-hmm. and I think you're right about that. it was during what's called visha week at iowa state and a tragedy actually occurred while we were playing and i don't know if you remember this um but while we were playing in the living room of that fraternity house we could see sirens or lights rather um of emergency vehicles or something outside, which we assumed were probably just cops. And I mean, it's Visha week to see some police lights is not that uncommon. There was somebody um, hit by a car, I believe. And I, if memory serves me right, I think someone was killed while we were playing. Does that ring a bell to you? I forgot about that, but I think you're right. I mean, Visha week was really wild. I don't even know if they still do Visha up there or not, but it was it was pretty crazy. And um, that show at the at the at uh, Delta Chi was was pretty crazy too. Yeah, and it's just kind of an interesting juxtaposition. Um, you know, this something you know tragic happening just outside the house that you're having this good time in, and we do have a recording of that. It's it's raw. It's kind of hard to follow. Um, but, uh, you know, let's just throw in, this is a little clip from, of a song that, that John, uh, I think John wrote the lyrics and the melody for him. Brent, I think Brent wrote the music. Um, I could double check with him on that, but, um, it was called Frightmare and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take the chorus of that out to, to the end and you can kind of hear, you know, this group of like, I don't know, 10 or 20 people having this grand old time and. Little did we know, out just outside the house, something you know tragic was unfolding. Let's hear that. It's a little hard on the ears, admittedly. It's a little, little, di- a little it's yeah. a little difficult to discern really what's being played. I mean, I think it was recorded on like a little boombox, you know, and uh, and we weren't playing through very sophisticated equipment either. I remember Brent and I were playing through these little PV practice amps, just cranked up to ten so we could, you know, be heard over the drums. But but playing live, I mean, for me that was like, you know. 
that's like the second time I ever played live and to have a little audio of it is kind of fun, but um, there's a, there's a thrill to that. And how did that compare to playing, like you said, in, in this, you know, like a cover band at, at a, at a restaurant? How does that compare? Um, uh, well, it was a lot more fun. You know, I, like I said, I never really liked playing covers. So I, I would say I played to larger audiences when I was in cover bands, but it wasn't nearly as much fun because it, to me, there's just something really exciting about playing your own music that you've written and created, even if it's crappy and even if you're playing in front of two people, which, you know, a lot of times we, we've done that. So, you know, it was it was a lot of fun. I, I remember those Illusionist shows as being a lot of fun. And, you know, being that young, you know, being like 20 years old, I think I was 20 at the time, you know, being that age and, and, and doing this, it was just like, wow, the world is my oyster world is my oyster. Oh yeah. And and there there was a place it's no longer called Dugan's Deli, but there was a, a bar and restaurant I guess called Dugan's Deli. And being considered a bar, you know, you had to be 21 to get in and um I I don't recall if all of you guys were 21 yet, but I do know that I, I was not. I was not. You weren't. I was okay. not. I don't, okay. I don't think any of us were be honest okay perhaps not i can guarantee you i wasn't and um you know we had this show booked we were we were going to be opening for a band uh called total passover and yep and uh we played you know our normal set of songs um which included uh, a song called lottery of your life which if you've listened to the secret history episode on hack and slay you've already heard a snippet of Lottery of Your Life because, yes, folks, that was a hack and slay song. I thought there was something wildly exciting about taking a song from your old band and making it one of ours. I just thought that was really cool. So you talk about how fun it is to play original stuff. That's just a, a, a corollary to that. So we've got, you know, an old clip from Hack and Slay, uh, Lottery of Your Life, with the one that we started to record um, we ultimately didn't finish it. We didn't put vocals on it, but it's kind of cool to hear uh, the two different bands uh, playing the tune. So let, let's let's hear those clips back to back a little bit for comparison. Yeah, and, and you know, to, to that point, um, first of all, I don't believe I ever contributed a single lyric or title to The Illusionists. You know, and if, and if going back to the first part of this episode, Brent and John started off by purposely trying to write songs that were, you know, in a way they kind of made fun of and mocked uh, the overtly sexual nature of rock and roll at the time and kind of made fun of some of those bands that were trying to be kind of dark and, you know, evil. Um, and as a result, they ended up sometimes coming up with things that I think were a little, well, I mean, embarrassing is to say, you know, that's to put it mildly. I always thought that your sensibility and the sensibility that, that came from Hack and Slay 
was that was a little bit more up my alley. I would much rather play a song called Lottery of Your Life than a song called Bathe With Me. And I'm just, you know, just being honest. And, um, you know, I remember you, you, you came in with a song called Love Fell Down the Stairs, which I think, I still think is a great title. Um, it's like, what does that mean? Yeah, you know? Sorry, what? I was like, what does that even mean? You know? Um, um, but. Yeah, what does that mean? But, you know, when I you. Don't know if I remember. Yeah, and, and, and so we started recording in the house that John was uh, renting with his uh, with with people from Iowa State and I, I remember that basement was almost like a dungeon and mm-hmm. yeah and we started recording we recorded god I don't know 15 16 songs none of them have lyrics added to them because we ended up never finishing it but um those recordings um you know and matter of fact we, for for a time we relocated upstairs there were some empty rooms upstairs, and this particular piece, or uh, which was called "Downtown Evil," another title I think is actually kind of fun. Um, this was originally called "Neon Black," and I had had one of the riffs um, before you joined, and then after you joined, we added some more stuff, and so this kind of marks the first time you and I ever collaborated on anything, uh, I believe. And uh, so let's let's hear a, a little snippet of this. Uh, this track, Downtown Evil, our first collaboration. Shall we do that? Let's do it. Was it? And <laughs> well, relatively speaking, it's a lot of fun to listen back to this stuff uh, and just you know kind of hear the genesis of you know your your creative energy. You know, at such a young and earnest age, where there's you know maybe some lacking sensibility and even more lacking talent, but you know you can definitely hear the direction you want to go with your creativity, and and so it's fun to listen to this stuff. You know, um, oh, painful sometimes, but it's fine. Yeah. Now, speaking of directions in creativity, um, you know, because even though we were, you know, products of the the '80s, we listened to I would say maybe a broader range of stuff than some other people um, in our age bracket, or some people that were doing the same kind of stuff that we were. And um, I think that shows in some of the stuff that we tried to do as well. Like um, earlier in this, in this, in this uh, episode, we, we brought out that old track Orlis, which was very different. Um, mm-hmm. And when we were recording um, this stuff with you, there was hell comes in small packages, which was nothing like downtown evil. Um and the the song Hell Comes in Small Packages, there is a version of it somewhere in the universe with vocals. We cannot find it. But we do have the instrumental version that we were recording for, for the album. And this title has made its way into the Underlord's universe and um, the origins of the damned story. Right. Yeah, you want to kind of... Well, you know, it's funny because I, I, I remember this song and I remember back when we were working on it and, and I think John wrote the lyrics and um, 
sang it, and he sang it, even though we won't hear that version. But, you know, it was it was kind of this bluesy, 12-bar bluesy, if I recall correctly, kind of bass and drum interplay with some guitars put in. And, and, and um, you know, it was a real departure from, like you were saying, from, you know, we were we were into a lot of prog and metal and all of that stuff, but but this was just so different and and quirky and weird and it's like just the title alone, Hell Comes in Small Packages, is is so cool. It's cool even to this day. So when we were creating the story and trying to come up with you know what are what what should the underworlds the fictional underworlds of the overworld what what should their first album be called? This just seemed natural and. Even when we described writing this song, and I, I think this came up in the chapter about the Erebus Cabal, when they were playing at the Erebus Cabal, we described this song and playing it. And I think the description in the book is actually pretty close to the description of the actual song. This is the thing that I think is so fun for us about this whole project is that, you know, I think anybody who does stuff creative, you know, in creative, creatively, creatively, it is a new word, um, creatively, if you look back on stuff that you were doing when you're that young, it's pretty cringeworthy, but it's still part of your development and you know, what's made you what you are. And I think that the kind of the cool thing about where we're at in our lives and doing this project under Lords of the Overworld is to kind of uh, look back and embrace the parts of that, that, you know, the little, the little bits of it that have some merit or to maybe reprocess some of it in a new way. Um, while at the same time looking forward and moving forward into doing new things creatively. And to me, that's what Hell Comes in Small Packages kind of represents. You know, it... I, I would agree with that. And, and I'm sure that when we get to future episodes of Secret History of the Underworlds of the Overworld, you know, this theme will continue to come up because I think that this creative project that we do now is embracing you know, the interests that we had going back to being teenagers and being even kids with you know, our love of comic books and sci-fi and horror movies and kind of blending that with this musical story, this rock and roll story, you know? So, I mean, I, I think it's really re-embracing our interests from a very young age and, and being able to go back and pluck from that history is a lot of fun, you know? And I mean, I haven't thought about Hack and Slayer, the illusionists in, in years, I guess. And, you know, by doing both of these episodes, it's been kind of like, wow, I'm really remembering a lot more about those times and, how formative those times were for us as, you know, creative explorers, if you will. I will. And, you know, I, I think that's a good note to bring this to a close on. Um, it'll bring us back to the story, uh, Underlords of the Overworld, Origins of the Damned, and we are nearing the, uh, the, the you know, the, the third act in this in this part of the story and the, and the climax of it. So, um, yeah. yeah. So there will be future intermission episodes, future secret history episodes, but in, yep. until then though, we got to bring origins of the damned to its conclusion. It's thrilling conclusion. Indeed. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to say before we sign out? No, this has been a blast. Okie dokie. All right, folks, until next time, thanks for listening.